You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Pray. Amen. Thank you, Jed. As you're talking about the child trafficking, <clears throat> Elias and I were we're in uh, the, on the Madre de Dios River in in Peru. It kind of feeds into the Amazon. Very rural. A lot of Indian uh, Indian language tribes there and stuff. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so we we were talking to the boat driver. Uh, it was either Juan or Carlos. That's every every guy's name there is Juan or Carlos. So he was one of those guys. But um, and he, he so he accepts Christ on the boat. Elias you know, gets him in the Elias headlock and he, he accepts Christ. And so anyway, we gets back, he goes, oh man, my wife really needs to hear this. So we go to a, we say, well, when we get back to Puerto Maldonado, which is a seedy dive, and there's a lot of sex trafficking going on there. A lot of children are sold at Puerto Maldonado. There's a whole part of town there. You can just go buy what you want, pick what you want, buy what you want. <clears throat> and a lot of gold production there that's illegal. And that, and that so it's young men that go to do that, a lot of logging. And so like that. So there's young guys, and they get these girls up and down the river. In fact, they they stopped us one time going to Bolivia there on the river because they thought that that's what we were doing. And they made us dump all our fuel off the boat because they said, no, you're going to get kids and bring them up the river. And uh, anyway, so we, we we get Carlos. We'll call him Carlos for lack of a better name. And uh, we we meet with his wife that evening. And we're talking to him. And... Uh, and Elias is telling him the gospel again, going over the whole thing that Carlos had accepted Christ, that he was a new man. He had once he had, the first couple of days when he was with us, he wouldn't really come to a Bible studies or anything. But once he accepted Christ, he was just eating it up. He wanted a Bible. He was reading with us. He was coming to every some places. You know, you go to more than one little village or whatever, so you end up with the same message over and over. And so, man, he was writing notes every time. He was writing in his book. You know, he's going to meet with his wife, and then um, his wife's like. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. The gospel. Yeah, I want that. I, I want to be saved, you know. So we're going to pray together. And, and before, and we're just fixing to eat. And, uh, and I said, uh, what, do you, what do you do? Do you work? Yeah, I work. Well, what do you do? Uh, I sell girls to um, the loggers and to the gold miners. I said, really? And so I said, well, you know, you, you, know you can't do that anymore, right? You know, that's the old you. And so maybe you can, you know, I'm kind of trying to give her the thing about, you know, maybe as a new creation in Christ, you could live this way or act this way or care for your family better or, or whatever. She goes, she goes, so you're saying that if I accept Christ, I can't make my living and selling these girls anymore. I said, that's what I'm saying. And she said, yeah, I don't want Christ. And it was, it was heartbreaking. It's very real. It's very real. So, and it was more, uh, common and uh, it's it happens in the united states but it was more in your face there you know more um, acceptable and i was surprised how how lightly elias took it but it was just so common there it's you know it's kind of like slavery we were in africa and there was so much slavery going on and and they're like yeah this is what it is you know you're a slave you buy your way out or maybe you stay or, or whatever and so we we got it good in our country we need to pray for the nations we need to go just as in the days of noah that's how it is. So we're, we're on day 14 of just as in the day of Noah. And, um, and we're going to call this message, Come into the Ark. 
Uh, I'm going to read to you Genesis 7, 1 through 6. I know we've covered this, but there's, there's, more, there's more and more. The more we read, the more there is, and I want to read this to you. And, and, um, and uh, I pray that as we read the Word today, that you receive what's spoken. I pray that it's the Word of God that's spoken to you, that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through me and not myself, and that you receive it, and it goes into your heart, and it's not just contained there, but it, it, you're filled with that living water that overflows and comes out and drips on everyone you meet this week. So as you hear the word today, I pray that you hear and you respond by acting in speaking the word again this week to someone else. Uh, Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I'll cause it to rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I'll destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters were upon the earth. The call of God to Noah is so kind. The call of God to you is so kind he calls him into the ark. He says, the Lord said to Noah, come into, come into the ark. He doesn't say go into the ark, and I'm going to seal it up. He says, come into the ark, implying that he's also in the ark. His presence is inside the ark. He's like, a, like an earthly father would be, you know, you, you're, the kids are out in the yard and, and, um, and you see bad weather coming or something like that. Or, you know, seems some bad, you know, if you lived in inner city areas, you see bad people coming up the street, you know, and you call your children into the house. Come into the house. You don't call, call them in in a panic. You call them in in a calm voice so that they're not panicked. You call them in gently, um, but urgently. And so they come in where they're safe. And we talked about it being a place of refuge where it's safe. Come and rest. Come inside and rest. So Noah and his family may have worked on the ark intensely forever how long. It was, so we have, he's got about 100 years, 120 year notice, right, that the flood is coming. doesn't mean he worked on the ark for 120 years. It means he had that much notice, okay? And in, in that as well, I mean, he could have knocked it out in 50 years. He could have knocked it out in 10 years. We don't know. Um, we, we, we assume that, you know, because of all the pictures, you got naked Noah guy and his naked sons and they got an elephant pulling a log right in the picture, right? But that doesn't mean that's what it was. They had 2000 years of everybody speaking the same language. And in the last say 150 years of a majority of the, uh, mechanized technologized world, uh, we have millions of people speaking the same language. And so in that we have cars, cell phones, you know, spacecraft, airplanes, and so on. It, technology can come on very rapidly. The, what, what eliminates technology is when you have a great reset, like we're fixing to have. Anytime you have a big war, you lose a lot of technology. Um, there was a time, uh, it was called the Library of Alexandria, I've told you about before. When it burned, apparently the Library of Alexandria actually had parchments that went back 4,000 years prior. So they could have technically had a piece of paper or a book or a something that could have come from the time of the ark. They could have had stuff from way, way back. They had single copies of it. And you had to pay like, it was equivalent of about $50 today to go in. You couldn't go in there and get the book and take it out. You go in, you pay the librarian, and it would have been a man. And then he took that thing that you wanted to read, and he rolls out the part that you want to read, and you read it, and you pay him the loot, and then you leave. 
and it was a it was a big deal. It was very but when the the Library of Alexandria burned, what you lost was all the information, all the technology, all the whatever. Archimedes, same thing. He had some weapons of warfare that was able to stop the Romans as they came and set their ships on fire before they even made it to the coast. But then when they got later and they get Archimedes, they got their chance to take the guy that came up with the stuff. And apparently these weapons of war, like one man could operate them and could keep huge armies at bay. A single person could keep, I mean, we don't know what it was. Nobody else does either because when the Roman came in, they told him, when you get to him, bring him with you. Don't kill him. Well, the guy gets to him and he's drawing on his sand table on the floor figuring out stuff. And the Roman comes to him and says, hey, uh, what's your name? And he's, he tells him his name. And he, but he doesn't respect him, doesn't look at him. He goes, I'm, I'm working here. And the guy kills him. When he kills Archimedes, all that technology is gone just like that. The Romans wanted the, and literally in one generation, they had the weapons of warfare, but they didn't know how to operate them. And so their city was taken over. So just because we don't know what they had for mechanized forms to move the logs and stuff, we don't know. But that doesn't mean what they had was like a rickety, you know, log raft like we would build. If, you know, if me and Jed are out there in the woods and we got to cross the creek, the, the little, it's, it's not what Noah built. We just tie some logs together with some vines and try to float across the creek. This thing was for real. I highly recommend anyone who wants to go to go to the Ark Museum. If you haven't, how many people have gone to the Ark Museum? How many haven't gone? Yeah, bunch of slackers. Go to the Ark Museum. It's good. You'll enjoy it. The Ark Museum is better. If you've got smaller kids, it's better than the Creation Museum. Creation Museum's great. A lot of reading. The Ark Museum has more stuff to look at, more critters and things like that. Me and some of the boys went this last week and enjoyed our time there. And been a couple times. Our church has gone a couple times. We're willing to take groups if you want to go. Um, we're willing to take you because I think it's important to realize when you see the size of that thing and what's going on and the technology in it. They're trying to go back to shipbuilding they, in that art museum. They went back kind of looked at ancient shipbuilding and stuff like that. I mean, the thickness of the wall of the ark is maybe four or five foot thick, and it's got to be. It's a submarine. You're filling it full of critters, and you got water all the way really close to the roof. It's like a big barge. It's got to be pretty durable. And so they did a great job on kind of figuring out how to deal with all the animals and feed them all and load them and unload them and do whatever you had to do, and it was good. So go to the art museum. Go see it. But it's interesting that God calls them. Uh, so we don't know what the technology was. Um, Noah could have hired as many local men as he wanted to. God didn't say you, you got to do it all by yourself. He could have hired. I mean, we hire people every day, Christians. We're very aloof sometimes, very prideful. You know, we try to do business with other Christians. The, one of the worst shankings I ever took was from another Christian. He was supposed to move a house from us. He said, well, if you pay us up front, we'll move this house for you. And we wrote him a check for like, it was like 10 grand or something. And, and I'm telling you what, that guy was in prison in two days because he'd done that to a bunch of people. And we never got the house moved. In fact, they burned the house because it was still there and it was supposed to be gone. And uh, I mean, uh, there's nothing. And, and every day we deal with people. We go to Walmart every day and some of those clerks are saved, some unsaved. We go to different places. We deal with unsaved people all the time. We do business with unsaved people all the time. We've got to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves as we deal with them. But we deal with unsaved people all the time. There was nothing keeping Mos or Noah. Man, I did that last week. There was nothing keeping Noah 
from using anyone and everyone to help build the ark. He could have had 10,000 men working on the ark. It doesn't just have to be him and his sons. So if you read the scriptures carefully, you'll see that it's, it's available to him. It doesn't say one way or another. It doesn't say that he doesn't have cranes. It doesn't say he doesn't have hoists or lifts or nails or any other thing. He didn't necessarily just peg it all together and hand carve each log with a flint knife. It's not how it was done, I'm sure. But when he gets it all done, he doesn't move in. He's been inside the ark. He's prepared the inside of the ark. But he doesn't move into the ark until he's invited into the ark by the presence of God. The presence of God says, come into the ark. Inside the ark is where the fellowship is. If you recall, outside the ark was where the world was. And everyone there is whatever element of persecution was going on there. But inside the ark is where the fellowship is. Inside the ark is where the presence is. You remember with Moses, I want to read this to you. It's in Exodus 33. They had just built this golden calf. And God has had about enough of their shenanigans. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my angel before you into the land. And what Moses says here is super critical. It needs to be critical for us in our thinking as we deal with being in God's presence or being without. It says in Exodus 33, 12. 33, 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people uh, and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. I know you by name. We talked about this morning, um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And it's, it's really good, you know, I shall not want. It makes me lie down in green pasture, leads me beside still water, restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. My, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And all these things, there's one key thing there that has to be in place for the blessings of Psalm 23, for the blessings of Exodus 33, for the blessings of Genesis 7 to, to fall into order, and that is the Lord's got to be your shepherd. It, it, you, you, if you have an expectation of Christ, the Messiah, doing something for you, maintaining your care, love, support, guidance, walking with you in the valley of the shadow of death, if you have that, He's got to be your shepherd. So many people, this right here is, is, here's Moses' salvation message right here. It says, I will do this thing, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. God, I know you, Moses, by name. It's the same old thing we've said a, a number of times. If, if I, I, a lot of us know, we know Donald Trump. We know a lot about Donald Trump. The press talks about him all the time, but positive and negative. But I'm telling you, if Donald Trump comes cruising by here and you run up to his car, Secret Service is going to shoot you because he doesn't know you. And many people, when they get tangled up with God, they say they know God or they know something of God, but he doesn't know them. 
But Moses knows God and God knows Moses. That's the key. If the Lord's your shepherd, you shall not want. However, if the Lord is just the Lord, but he's not your shepherd, then that means that you're outside the fence. You're outside the gate. Many shall call on that day, Lord, Lord. And I did this in your name. I did that in your name. I'll say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, if he doesn't know you, you can, you can know where he lives. You know what his gate looks like. But if you don't know him, you're out of luck. It's worse than that. So if you're living... Uh, so. So with, with Noah, with Moses here, when God kind of threatens to send the angel before Moses, though the angel could be trusted, Moses is like, I don't, I, I, if your presence isn't there, I don't want to go. I don't want to be there. If God's presence is not inside the ark with Noah, then the only thing that Noah's been is incarcerated for a year. He's been, he's been put in lockdown. But if God's presence there, then he's just at rest for a year. It's a big difference. Without the promise of God, in whom there is no shadow of turning, why bother? Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not, be, do not fear or be dismayed. His name is Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is present. So the Lord who is present inside the ark, he says, come on in the ark, Noah. Come on in. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. He's the one that goes before. So he went in first, and then he's present there. He didn't go in and then coax Moses in and then slip out the back door and shut the door on it. His presence is with Noah in the ark. His presence is with Moses amongst the people in the tabernacle, over the tabernacle. His presence is with the disciples, and the disciples don't do that great without him. If you're living without God's presence as your focus, as your, as your life, as your guide, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If you're not there, you're in grave danger. If you're in any place other than the presence of God, you're in grave danger. You're outside the ark. You're outside the atonement. You're outside of Christ. You're outside the covering of the blood. So come in. And stay a while. <laughs> Get out of the weather. The disciples were, were, I mean, they were pretty much worthless without Christ. Christ goes to the cross, and what do the disciples do? They go right back to their old way of life. I was talking to Gary, and he was talking about how he, he knew Christ, and then for a time, he got out of, of where he, he, so he met Christ in a place, was with Christ for a time, read the word, was telling other people about the gospel and things like that. Then he got back in the old way, and what he did was he got outside of the presence, and he was led back into the old way, and God had to take him and pull him back into his presence. Um, the disciples fell apart. They, they knew Christ. Here he was. He goes to the cross. He is separated from them in physical form, and they're outside of his presence, and they don't know what to do. So what do they do? They go back to the old way. They pull a Gary. They go back to the old way, live the old life. They're back on their fishing boats doing their thing. And uh, uh, as soon as Christ meets them again, the Spirit of Christ comes upon them, and they're singing, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. With him, they have power. Without him, we're nothing. 
So thing number one, point number one, I got a three-pointer for you, for you three-point lovers today, your three-point shooters, uh, about God's faithfulness. God invites any who would desire his salvation to enter in. God invites any who would desire salvation to enter in. He tells us to come into the ark, come into his presence. So next we have the six plus one. It's kind of interesting. There's a big bunch of numbers in the Bible. They always have relevance. They always have meaning. They always have importance. But we get a group of three sevens. So we got three, the magic number, the good number, and then we have seven, seven times three. So we have three sevens here. I want you to listen for them. It says, Noah, the Lord says to Noah, come into the ark, you and your household. Uh, uh, verse 2 says, You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days I'll cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. I'll destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. So we got the seven each of every clean animal. We have the seven each of the birds of the air. And we have the seven more days. And there's a reason those three sevens are together, but what we're going to do is just focus on the seven clean animals. So whenever you see anything like this and, um, in God's word or in creation or just in your life, we're really bad to use the word coincidence, right? And what, it does, what the word coincidence does is it takes away the power of the miraculous. And we say, well, there's no miracles that go on in this day and age, but there's an awful lot of dang coincidences. So maybe... <laughs> Quit applying coincidence and Lucifer to the things of miraculous. You know the word lucky? You know where that comes from? Lucifer. lucky fur. That's where it comes from. So a lot of things that we consider luck is coming from this kind of, we're giving credit to the wrong entity is all I'm saying. So with coincidence, let's, let's focus our coincidences in the right place. I've seen it many times, and, and we need to recognize God's miraculous work as for what it is. But here with these three sevens, there's a point to it. Why seven? Why seven of all the clean animals? Um, I think in this, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I'm 99 and seven-eighths. What's going on here is, is Moses knows that there is a sacrifice to come. He knows that there's going to have to be a gift at the end. And I was kind of thinking about what all these animals, I mentioned it last week, the size of this sacrifice, it's brutal. So, so if I was going to read off some clean, I'm just going to read off the clean animals that I thought of. And as a hunter, I thought of more than you would think of. Most people, you'd say, what are the clean animals? And they would say cows and sheep and chickens, right? And moose and elk and all types of deer and all the African deer and giraffes. If you want a big old barbecue, you could barbecue a giraffe. 17 foot tall. Think about the stakes down that thing's neck and down at the so giraffes, um, all flying birds, goats, and all their varieties of cattle. So you got your you got your beef cattle, you got your dairy cattle, you have your uh, highland cattle, you have your all your cattle kinds like your African Cape Buffalo, your yak. Your, uh, what's the one they had in, uh, they had a kind there in the Philippines. It had big sweeping horns um, that they used for oxen, uh, llamas, alpacas, all your flying birds, but it excluded ostriches. I'm the devil because I actually ate ostrich one time, an unclean bird. It excludes penguins. 
um, chickens, turkeys, peacocks, grasshoppers. That's on the clean list. You like those, Tracy? Locust. And uh, anyway, there's a lot of clean animals. The size of this sacrifice is more than your, you're thinking like he took a cup, like a cow and a sheep and a chicken and cut it in half and offered it as a incense before God. It was a mountain of clean animals. And I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten some. I know I've forgotten some, or varieties of clean animals. You can go through the clean animal list there. It's in Exodus and Leviticus. So it seems what's going on is God separates the clean from the unclean. Is that it's the clean are the animals that are most useful to men because they provide either milk, meat, hair, oil, um, skins. And they, they serve men to a higher degree than the unclean animals. The unclean animals tend to be your wild animals, the ones that are predators, um, the ones that are the carcass cleaners, the ones that clean up the stuff that, that you know, I mean, they, they serve a purpose, but they're not generally uh, domesticated by men. And so what we have here is we have working animals, right? And then we have the wild animals. Of the working animals, they have a six-day work week just like men do, and they have a seventh-day day of rest or a day of sacrifice. And I think that's the picture right here is we have the six days of work, and then we have the seventh, which is the day of sacrifice, or we would call it the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days shall you do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you should do no work. And then it goes to this list, who's not supposed to work? Neither you, nor your wife, nor your children, nor your neighbors, nor your slaves, nor your servants, nor your cattle. Even your animals are not to, nor your hired man... Even no one is supposed to work on the Sabbath. It's a day of sacrifice and rest. Moses, ah, dad, gum, I don't know why I keep doing that. Noah here on the ark, Moses on the ark, uh, is, has these animals knowing that there's going to be a sacrifice on the end. They've done their work, they've maintained whatever. We've got across the, 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 the waters, we've landed, and now there's a time of sacrifice. It's in his mind that there's going to be a sacrifice at the end. Every work produces its share, every week produces its share of work in six days, leaving the seventh as a day of sacrifice and rest. So these animals were designed by God to make it as the sacrifice, the picture of the day of rest. He's been at work. Noah has been at work for 375 days, I think is the total number of days he's been. He's been at work. Now there needs to be a sacrifice of rest at the end, and he does that with the law of God. That offering of the seventh of these animals is that picture of the sacrifice required of men as they come before God. God provides a day of rest, but in the day of rest, he expects a sacrifice. And I've told you this before. If you want to know what you're authorized to do on your day of rest, many people would say that there's no longer a Sabbath because it's not overly mentioned in the New Testament. I would argue with that, with you about that, because Paul kept the Sabbath, Jesus kept the Sabbath, disciples kept the Sabbath. Uh, there's a Sabbath. There's a rest. And in that, there's a day of focusing our attention back on God and not just on ourselves. And it takes a sacrifice. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? We know that he fed people on the Sabbath. He preached the gospel on the Sabbath. He ministered to others on the Sabbath. He beat people up in the temple on the Sabbath. There's plenty of stuff to do on the Sabbath. You can pick any one of those things and go do those things. You're free to do those things on the Sabbath. I say we go to the Pentecostal church and beat them up this week. No. Assemblies of God's right down the road is close. We can go beat them up. The point is, is that we have options on the Sabbath.
But those options are to be orienting ourselves and our spirit back towards the one who created us. And it takes a day of sacrifice. It's not what we want to do. We got other stuff that pulls on us that makes us want to do other stuff. Oh, man, I wish I got the yard mowed this week. Dad, you know, I guess I'll do it today. It's Sunday. I mean, I'll go to church and I'll go mow the grass. But when I'm mowing the grass, I got my earphones on and I'm listening to whatever I listen to. Led Zeppelin, a good devilish one. I'm listening to something devilish. And I'm mowing the grass, you know. And my mind is not focused on God in that moment. My spirit is not oriented towards him. I have no spirit of sacrifice of my life or myself. And the Bible says to present, I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present yourself. Holy, holy blame us, a sacrifice. Present yourself a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God. Holy, acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service of worship. This is your logical, reasonable service of worship. My life as a sacrifice to God is a reasonable thing. For, Moses, uh, for Noah to sacrifice all those animals was a reasonable thing for him to do. Why? Because God rescued them from death. All these animals and their productivity that he's going to take and sacrifice before God, the eggs, the milk, the cheese, all the ability, the different things that they could produce, the skins, the fur, and all that stuff, he burned up in reverence and honor to God for his care for them for this much time. He knew, I believe he knew going in, that the seventh animal going on the ark was a promise of escape from the flood and that he would give it back to God. It's kind of interesting if you read the Bible carefully, especially through Genesis. So from all of Genesis is time before the law, so to speak. But all these guys in Genesis and the book of Job, all these guys in Genesis and in the book of Job kept sacrifices. They kept the Sabbath. They, they knew the laws of God, whatever it was. They may have been slightly different or less in number, but they knew them. We have Job giving sacrifices. We know that there was sacrifices that he understood that he was supposed to do. And so it's interesting that he... Um, made sacrifices. It's interesting that he didn't eat certain foods. It's interesting that he maintained the cause of the virgin. That's a real interesting thing. A guy needs to look into that. There's a lot going on there with the protection of the virgin in the Old Testament. So they, these all fell under the law, and these guys were already doing those things. So is it too much to ask for a person to give themselves to God for any amount of time? Has there been judgment on man, and is there escape from the judgment? And if so, is there anything that we could give in return for rescue from the judgment? It's not the, is it not the least that we could do after having been saved from the wrath to come? Did, let me ask you this. Did, this is a trick question, sort of. Did more animals come out of the ark than went in on the ark? Did more come out than went in? Where I, was I talking to you about that? Okay, so you have about a year plus, right? You got male and female animals doing what animals do. Most gestation periods are less than a year. I mean, an elephant's like a year, right? And all your females going on could have been pregnant, we don't know. But it would have been good if they were. So you could have technically had more animals come off the ark than went on the ark. We don't know. We weren't there. But I know all, one of all the clean animals got yoked when they got off the ark. They're like, keep producing guys. Maybe he'll pick, you know, maybe he'll pick Jed instead of me. You know, I mean, 
but they did. More came on, or possibly more came off than went on. Let me ask you this. Did less come off than went on? Why not? Because God's promise was that if you get on the ark, you're going to get back off the ark. We can trust his promises because his promises never fail. God is not a man that he should lie, Numbers 23, 19, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot reverse it. You know who said that? Balaam. A man who was against God knew that if God said it, that's, what it was gonna, that's what's going to happen. If God says, I'm blessing these people, no amount of your cursing is going to change God's blessing. If God says, get on the ark, and you're going to get back off the ark, you're good to go. Get on the ark. Look through that. Uh, you know, there was another really good scripture. It says, uh, uh, 11, uh, Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, says, for the gifts and the calling of God is irrevocable. It means it cannot be removed. It's like the law of the Medes and the Persians. Once it's written, that's, so let it be written, so let it be done. There's no changing it. So the Bible says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He who began to call you upon the ark is faithful to maintain you upon the ark. And it says that he invited Noah into the ark, and at the end he calls Noah out of the ark. It's interesting. 8 verse 1, then God remembered Noah, every living thing on the animals that were with him in the ark. God made a wind, so on, it's in chapter 8. And he calls Noah off the ark. So his presence is with Noah on the ark. His presence is in the, in the atmosphere, in the world, in the space outside the ark. He invites Noah in. He invites Noah out. His presence is with him all the time. Noah's in good shape. All Noah has to do is be obedient. Take, like I was going to say, take time to look through your concordance and just look at the promises that God makes to his people. The Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If he's my shepherd then I can trust that he's going to care for me in the times that are hard and the times that are, that are good. His word will not return void. If I know his word, I just discovered that it's irrevocable. His promises to us as believers, and this is the, this is the promise you can hang your hat on, he never promises that you won't get sick, that you won't break your leg or blow your knee out, or that you won't get cancer or any other thing. He doesn't promise any of those things, but he promises that if you believe in him, that when you die on that day, you will meet him face to face in heaven and you will live there with him for eternity he's going to rescue you he's going to take you through so it's the same picture on the ark and then he invites you off the ark out of death and into eternal life that's what he does we can count on it if god says he'll accomplish something he will he promised noah that he'd make it out of the ark was the time on the ark monotonous we're we're walking around there we're looking at all these animal cages and the food things and stuff and then they had a little thing of what do you do with the animal waste? You know, it's not something you really think about. There's a lot of animals on there doing what animals do. You've got to get rid of that stuff. I bet it smelled like roses in there all the time on every floor, right? So they had their little idea of what system they would have removed the waste. But you think it wasn't boring on there every day? In fact, they have a little setup there, and they got like one of the guys playing a flute. That guy didn't have time to play a flute. He's feeding nine zillion animals on the ark. You know, if he's either feeding animals or he's removing waste or he's sleeping for a year, do you think that they forgot maybe, or did they kind of question, God, are you really going to rescue us off the ark? Or are we going to be on here forever? 375 days. That's a long time. Uh, 
But did Noah know getting on that he was going to get back off? I believe he did. What about, um, did, could Moses know that the children would make it into the promised land? Was it burdensome walking around with those jokers? Being disciplined because of how they acted for 40 years in the desert? Was it hot? Did they get thirsty? Did they have the very best of food? No, no, no. Was God with them? Was his presence there? Yes. Did he promise that they would get through there? Yes. Did he accomplish his promise? Yes. You know, it's kind of, it's, uh, we all go through that, that questioning thing. I, I don't think God is necessarily, and this is Dale's opinion, don't uh, write this down, so. Uh, but I don't, God doesn't seem to be offended when men question, men who trust in him, when men who trust in him question, God, do you hear my voice? Can you hear my cry? Do you really love me? Do you really know who I am? He's, he's gentle with us in that. Trust him to remain faithful even if you're not. He says, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He began a good work in Noah when he brought him on the ark and he sealed the door. And he protected him there and he kept him there. When he invited him on the ark, he was guaranteeing that he was going to get back off the ark. It says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him on the ark. God knows those who are his and he cares for them. And in suffering, we tend to wallow in the pain of the suffering or the loneliness or the discouragement. And we tend to do the John the Baptist move where you go um, send a messenger and say, um, are you the one or do we, are we supposed to look for somebody else? And then we need to remember that the message that was sent back, the blind are seeing, the dead are being raised. I'm the one. You don't have to look for another one. But God gives you the ability to go and look for another one. And if you're wise, maybe you take it, maybe you don't. But you'll come back realizing that he is the one. He's the only one. And he's there. Are you the one? Go look for another one if you want. But when you come back, you'll recognize that I am. There's no other beside me. Isaiah 45, I'm going to read this to you. It was, it's, just a, it's just a hammer. Isaiah 45. Five through seven. Poor Isaiah, man. He's been beat up. He's had to walk around naked for a while. It's, it's been a rough run. But when God speaks to him and he begins to see the Messiah there in, in Isaiah 40 through the end of Isaiah, he has a totally different view of who God is. And God speaks to Isaiah, Isaiah 45, 5. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other God beside me. I will gird you though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. There is a God. He does all those things. And somehow he demeans himself to the point that he, he listens to our prayers. That he cares for us. 1 John 5.13 uh, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. As Journey said, don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. Every one of us goes through that. Every person does. Every believer. Young people, let me tell you. Titus, Parker, and others over here, associates. There's going to be a time from your childhood to your adulthood, somewhere in there, and you're going to be like, is the stuff that my folks were talking about, is it really real? Is it... Uh, Henry, wherever you are, I know you back there, Henry, I see you. 
You're going to be like, is the stuff that my parents told me, is it real? Because I don't really see God doing all that. And everything I hear in the world, and when you get to that point, go to this verse, 1 John 5, 13. And don't stop believing. Because everything in the world and the flesh and the devil is going to go out of its way to draw you away from the one true God. Go back to this verse. Go back to Isaiah 45 and see that I am the Lord thy God, and there is no other. Go back to this verse and don't stop believing. When John was in prison, he came to this moment and he was like, man, is, I mean, I thought we were going to be the champions. And the reality is he, he had a, a little problem with faith there just for a moment, and God in his goodness, through his son, sends him a message back and says, no, I'm the one. Don't stop believing. God told Noah to come into the ark, and he told him at the perfect time of year. Would have been around November, if you go by the, it says in the second month or whatever, on the ever, whatever day. It would have been like up in November. And so in November here in Tennessee and most places is when in everything north of the equator in November would be your harvest season. So all the fruits and vegetables and productivity of the land would be in. It would be a good time to gather up fruits and vegetables and so on and put them on the ark, wheat, grains, and stuff, because it says he had to provide for all the animals. It was just perfect timing. But when he gets off the ark, it's also November, and now he's at like 14,000 feet elevation. So it's going to be quite brisk. But what he has there in the ark is a huge pile of logs to build whatever he wants. He can build a house, he can stay on the ark, it doesn't really say. But what he also has is enough provision to make it through. Plus, now God gives him the right to eat the other animals. So he can eat clean animals now. So he has the food to make it through to the spring and begin to a new life there. Noah should have felt free in getting on the ark to spend every penny he had for the kingdom because there's not going to be an economy when he gets back out. Right? He's the only guy around. So spend it up. Hey, the guy's like, hey, I'm going to need an extra 100000 to put a septic system on this ark. Uh, let me go get a loan from the bank. Because <laughs> when I get out, the bank's going to be gone. I mean, he could borrow money, or he could do whatever he wanted. Because he knows, in his faith in God, that these people aren't going to be there to collect when he gets out. But God's in control, and he's in care of him. Every person goes through that crisis of confidence, um, that, that thought is, did I, am I really saved and that kind of thing? When you get to that, go back to that First John five thirteen. Just keep going back to it, memorize it, and go back to it. These things are written that you may know if you believe in the Son of God, you will have eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. You can know. You can have the Son, you can have eternal life, and you can know. So here's the three points. Point number one was God invites any who would desire his salvation to enter in. He tells them to come into the ark. Point number two is without God's presence in the midst, there's no point in getting in the ark. Recognizing the rest that God gives in the slowness. Um, I've told so we had kind of crazy things happen. Like this. I told you last week that, that uh, Cindy Wilbanks or Cindy uh, Underwood now, um, got run over by a cow, right? Broke her pelvis, or broke her, her uh, hip here. And so she's laid up. And so whenever we get laid up, the first thing we do is we start getting busy. We get on the phone, we call our friends, and we watch videos, and we, we get bored, and we read books. And what we need to be doing 
is we need to be like Noah here and just rest in the presence. If God puts the brakes on your life, it's probably because you were supposed to stop. It's probably because you've been running, 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 doing, 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 and you can't hear the voice of God. It says that his voice is a still, small voice. It's a whisper. And if you go back and you see how he spoke to Elijah, he wasn't in the earthquakes, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire, and he wasn't in the fallen rocks. And it, on all that happened, like the wind dies, and God comes up and he goes, Elijah. And you can't hear that word when you're running. We get up from the time we get up in the morning with the earplugs in and the Christian music jamming and in the, and in the TV playing in the background and the looking up stuff and then the running to our friends and the going and doing. And God puts his brakes on us and says, sit right here. Just sit still for a second. And we should take the opportunity of sitting still to hear his voice, to be where his presence is. When you have the opportunity to be in his presence, man, grab a hold and be grateful for it and see it as a blessing. Without God's presence in the midst, there's no point in entering in. Recognize the rest that he gives. Six days shall you work, and on the seventh you shall rest. In that resting sacrifice of the seventh day, give God his due sacrifice. What's his due sacrifice? It's yourself. Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Don't come scroungy. Don't come covered with the world in your mind. Come acceptable presentable it is hard work to be a follower of christ in a world that hates him but take the time to rest in his presence and number three if god calls you to come in he'll ensure that you get out god is not a man that he should lie the bible says and it also says that he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it we can grab onto those things and we can hold on to them and know that they're true you don't have to believe dale that they're true go into the word of god and see if i'm telling you the truth spend time in the word and he'll amplify those those scriptural truths to you the trip that we take of life is not exactly as we think it would be we think it would be a certain way we think that uh, uh as a christian nothing bad should happen to me as a christian you exist in a fallen world of brokenness and it's going to touch you the nasty things of the world is going to get on you if you go around people that are covered with sin you're going to get sin on you and so you have to go washing yourself daily in the word you got to go get cleaned up and in that, know that the, the trip's not exactly going to be like you think it should be, but pray without ceasing and cling to the promises of God, and he says he will be faithful to complete them. Can't, you can't count on yourself. Our, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and we do dumb things, and we think wrong thoughts, but we can cling to God's word, and he'll draw, him back, draw us back to himself. I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you will, um, first of all, just to... Let's pray for a moment. We'll just have a moment of, of silent prayer there in that time. Uh, the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you have the opportunity to confess before God the things that are keeping you from his presence. And also in that, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And many of us have tried to do a bunch of good things and being a nice person and help old ladies across the street and carry people's groceries for them. And in all that is foolishness if we don't have the shepherd as our shepherd. So make sure that this morning before you leave here that you have accomplished that, that you have turned your life over to the only one who can save, Jesus the Messiah. Confess with your mouth that he's Lord. He's the creator of all things. He will carry you into the ark, draw you in. 
He'll protect you for the ride, and he'll draw you back out when it's time to die and to meet him face to face. We have to make the decision to accept Christ on this side of death. If we wait till death, it's too late. I pray that this morning, if there's one that's not saved, that today would be the day of salvation. I would love to talk to you about it further. I would give you more detail, and we could walk through that together. I can help you in that. And, um, but don't let it go a day longer. And then the last thing I'll tell you is if you're really struggling with assurance of salvation, know that John 5.13 is the truth. If you've ever placed your hope in Christ to save you, you're saved. Now begin to be obedient and following him, and I'm telling you, your assurance will improve. If you're trying to walk your own life, do your own thing, and have Christ on the side as a, as a little fire insurance in case you get run over by a bus, you're going to be out of luck. A Christ follower follows Christ. He, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He'll do what Christ calls him to do. So that's the, the last thing. Let's pray together. <coughs> Father, this morning we're so grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that the word that was spoken today is the word you have for us. That will be convicting in spirit, encouraging in hope. Lord, I pray that this word is a sweet-smelling aroma to you as your people come together and recognize you as King of kings and Lord of lords, sovereign God over all things and creator. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for the different... Um, issues of life that you cover there with Noah and with the prophets and with the disciples and with your son, Lord. Father, I'm, I ask for your mercy now for these that are here that have sin in their lives, Lord, that have, that have walked their own path for a long period of time, Lord. I pray that they would repent now in this moment. Father, we ask for your mercy in our repentance as we are guilty as we stand before you because we're made in flesh and our natural way is to sin against you, Lord. I ask for your mercy in that. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your care for us, your long-suffering and your patience, the hope that you provide through your word and through your son. I pray that if any be here today, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would seek your face while it can still be found, Lord, and that you would be merciful to them and accept them into your kingdom. Father, I pray for the ministries that are to go out of this church. Lord, I pray for the monies that come in, that as they come in, that they would be redistributed in the way that you would desire and not the way that our own uh, flesh would like. Father, I ask that you guide our hands in that. I thank you, Lord, for all these that have come today. Lord, I pray you bless them today. I pray that they take today and, and offer it back to you as a holy sacrifice, a holy convocation, Lord. So grateful for your love for us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Yeah.